215. 215 sons and daughters. 215 grandchildren, cousins, big brothers, and little sisters. 215 mama's babies and papa's hunting buddies gone. We are nations of indigenous people who have felt the brute force of colonialism. The bitter taste of forced assimilation still rests on the tongues of those who've lost the songs of our ancestor. Almost two weeks ago, it was released that the remains of 215 children, some as young as three years old, were found at the Kamloops Indian Residential School in Kamloops, British Columbia in Canada. The Tecumlitz Tsekwam First Nation people announced on May 27th that a radar survey of the ground was used to reveal the mass grave of indigenous children buried at the school. For this episode, we will solely be focusing on the Kamloops Indian Residential School, but we think it's important to provide some background and context for those not familiar with Indian boarding schools. There were more than 350 government-sponsored Indian boarding schools in the United States throughout the 19th and 20th century, and more than 139 residential schools in Canada. The primary objective of Indian residential schools was to assimilate Indigenous children into Euro-American culture by cutting all cultural and language ties by any means necessary. That meant the cutting of boys and girls' long hair, the beating and punishment of those who spoke their native language or prayed to someone other than a Christian god, the changing of names from an indigenous name to a white one, and withholding children from visiting their families. The last school did not close until 1996. I was a first grader, and it just blows my mind that not that long ago, these horrible schools were still operating. As Chelsea mentioned, these schools were directly operated by the United States and Canadian governments, and they were often ran by churches. And I'd like to read you a letter from Reverend O'Grady, who was the principal of the Kamloops Indian Residential School at the time. The letter is dated November 18, 1948. Dear parents, it will be your privilege this year to have your children spend Christmas at home with you. The holidays will extend from December 18 to January 3rd. This is a privilege which is being granted if you observe the following regulations of the Indian Department. Number one, the transportation to the home and back to the school must be paid by the parents. Number two, the parents must bring the children back to the school strictly on time. If the children are not returned to school on time, they will not be allowed to go home for Christmas next year. I ask you to observe the above regulations in order that this privilege of going home for Christmas may be continued from year to year. Yours sincerely, Reverend O'Grady, Principal. And this letter just uh, sickened me the first time I read it because he's describing it as a privilege to be able to spend time with their own children over the holidays. And I, I think that's a terrible way to, to even describe it. And also saying that he will take away their their rights to see. It's not a right. I mean, it's not a privilege. It's a right. They'll take away their rights to see their children during the next Christmas if they don't get them back on time. 
Yeah, when I first read it, Brittany, it made my blood boil. I mean, remember that children as young as three years old were sent to these boarding schools. So imagine the pain of not only the parents not seeing their babies, but, you know, the love not received by these children at three years old, you know, you're still a toddler. You know, I think about toddlers who love cuddling in their mama's bosom for a nap, you know, that like holding their daddy's hands when they're walking, that like kisses and cuddles from their grandmas after playing all day. You know, when we think about the trauma of separation, it really is, I think, one of white settlers greatest tools and you know we see it here and we see evidence of it you know throughout american and canadian history you know the trauma of separation during the slave trade when africans were bought over and sold into slavery and familial units were separated so that they couldn't speak their languages and practice their customs together and you know so that families wouldn't be together to protect each other and we see it in the creation of reservations to separate us from our ancestral homes. The trauma of no longer being home, but of a new place marked by boundaries created by someone else. And I always wonder how this trauma of separation from family and from land in the last 400 years doesn't affect European Americans and Canadians in the same way, but I remember that European American and Canadians could find ways not to have to deal with the trauma of separation from their homelands and their familial people. They could create their own enclaves, their own little Italys, their own German churches, their own English pubs right in our indigenous lands. They could create an America, they could create a Canada that reminded them of home while destroying the only home indigenous people knew. And I think it's just so important to point out all the different ways that white people have historically benefited from the pain and trauma of indigenous people, um, including by you know benefiting from this residential school. And so this school specifically was operated as a full-time residential school by the Catholic Church from 1890 until 1969, so for about 80 years. And then from 1969 until 1978, it was operated by the federal government as a day school. And it did finally permanently close in 1978, you know, which even thinking about my own parents, they were 10 years old at this time. But we're talking about almost 100 years of operation and thousands of indigenous children over several generations. So for decades upon decades, indigenous people have called for inquiries into the deaths and missing indigenous children um, at the hands of these boarding schools. And, you know. Today, Brittany, my daughter turned eight months old, and you know, I think about being forced to send my daughter to a boarding school like in, in a couple of years at three years old, and you know, and then all of a sudden, it's not only just sending her to a school, but possibly not having her return home. And the church and government, you know, doesn't have to answer to this crime of your missing or murdered child. Right. And then so after mounting pressure in Canada, the government created the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada from 2008 to 2015. And it was organized by the Indian Residential Schools Settlement Agreement. So the commission's official record of Kamloops was um, 51 children who died from 1914 to 1963, which is much lower than the findings of the mass grave, which was recently discovered there. And then during the commission's final report in 2015, they noted that the school said in 1918 that children at the school were not being adequately fed, which is leading to malnutrition among most of the students. And I just want to pause to reflect on that for a moment, because in what other school in, in, 
in a, in, a, in Canada or America have you ever heard of children being purposely, you know, not fed or being starved? And I think it's important to think about the fact that Canada at this time was actually conducting uh, medical experiments on Indigenous children in these schools, and so they would purposely not feed them in order to test the effects of malnutrition on the body. And so a lot of times I think as Americans, we romanticize Canada and we think about it as this great country. And a lot of Americans will joke that, oh, I'm going to move to Canada, you know, if, if this happens. But in reality, Canada has been just as trash, if not worse, to indigenous people than even America has. And so um, just back to the, the report, the commission recorded the testimonies of countless residential school survivors, many of who recounted the deaths of people who they knew. And the official record is that over 4,100 Indigenous children have died in boarding schools in Canada, but we all know that it is uh, so many more than that. And the last report from the Commission in 2015 also recounted the many cases of physical, sexual, and psychological abuse at the hands of the schools. And the report called the system cultural genocide, but, but really it's uh, so much worse than that. Right. And since the discovery of the burial site, there have been memorials and ceremonies across the U.S. and Canada. You know, Brittany, I don't know about you, but I've seen several, you know, people on Facebook and Instagram post about the 215 children, especially um, within our Indigenous communities. And the Tecumlups to Sequam First Nation, and I hope I am not butchering your tribal name, has called for a public apology from the Catholic Church. It was reported that this past Saturday, Pope Francis met with two Canadian cardinals to discuss the discovery. So far, the church has refrained from any public statements or apologies. And when I say the church, I mean like the head honcho, the Pope himself, the overarching Catholic church. More than 150,000 indigenous children were forced to attend these church-ran, government-backed residential schools in Canada. And in a time span of 120 years of, you know, the length that these schools went on for, you know, that's seven generations of children. And for a lot of Native people, that principle of seven generations is so important. It's the idea that every decision you make today, you should consider how it will impact your next seven generations. And, you know, over the course of seven generations, can you imagine the damage and generational trauma afflicted on these people? You know, the loss of work the loss of stories, the loss of art, the loss of ceremony, and the loss of history. Yet, you know, oftentimes in American and Canadian history, we as Indigenous people were the ones called savages and uncivilized. Yet, I can't think of anything more savage than ripping a child from its home, than abusing an innocent child because they don't speak the same language as you or worship the same creator that you do. As I mentioned earlier, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was created out of the Indian Residential School Settlement Agreement, and this agreement was created by the Canadian government to acknowledge the damage that was inflicted by the school system, and they actually a $1.9 billion compensation package was created to make direct payments to school survivors, and an additional, uh, additional money was allocated after the Truth and Reconciliation Commission ended. There were still huge issues, though, with the settlement, one being that the majority of day schoolers, so we're talking about those who went to the school during the day and then would, would go back home at night. Um, so, And this is even thousands of more First Nations people. They were not actually included in the settlement at all. So they received no, mo no money, no monetary compensation. And it's important to know, yeah, that they had abuse too. Like just because they yeah. went home at night did not mean they didn't get abused during the day. 
100%. And so they were not included in the settlement. And Kamloops was a residential school, but it was also a day school for many people from the bordering First Nations Reserved. And there is actually a great video on YouTube that we'll link on our Facebook page from Nation to Nation, which talks directly to Joanne, who was a day schooler who is suing the Canadian government and sharing her experience of being sexually abused and mistreated specifically at that school. And since the announcement of the discovery of the 215 people, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, who's got a lot of flack from Indigenous people in Canada, has made a few statements, but no direct action plan has been made in regards to funding for additional searches at residential school grounds. And in a statement last week, Trudeau said, Sadly, this is not an exception or an isolated incident. We're not going to hide from it. We have to acknowledge the, tr the truth. Residential schools were a reality, a tragedy that existed here in our country, and we have to own up to it. And, you know, the Canadian government is under mounting pressure to create a standardized approach to, to uncovering these mass burial sites, not just cemeteries at schools, and also to identifying these children and then returning them home. Yeah, so it should be definitely noted, that in case we don't mention it, that at Kamloops, this was not the school cemetery which they had. This was a separate mass burial site. So this doesn't even take into account the children that they, they knew were already um you know, had died at the school. So Chief Roseanne Kadimir of the First Nation has called on the federal government to be more immediate in their next steps. You know, while I was doing research for this episode, I read the official Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishop statement that they made last week. And I think it's just worth reading the whole statement because in my opinion, it is so tone deaf, Brittany. So it was written by Richard Gagnon, Archbishop of Winnipeg, and it reads, On behalf of the Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops, which also goes by the CCCB, I express our deepest sorrow for the heart-rendering loss of the children at the former Kamloops Indian Residential School on the Tecumlips Tsekwam First Nation. The news of the recent discovery is shocking. And I'm just going to pause for a second and let you think about those first few sentences. And just the fact that the Catholic Church is saying that the discovery of dead children is shocking when they were the ones running these schools across Canada and the U.S. and they knew what was going on. Right, like this is well documented at this point, so I, I don't know why they're particularly shocked, I guess. Right, it's 2021, there was a Truth and Reconciliation Committee, like a settlement of billions of dollars. But anyway, so let me continue on the letter and we can chat about it some more. So the letter continues, It rekindles trauma in numerous communities across this land. Honoring the dignity of the lost little ones demands that the truth be brought to light. This tragedy profoundly impacts indigenous communities with whom many people across this land and throughout the world now stand in solidarity. As we see ever more clearly the pain and suffering of the past, the bishops of Canada pledge to continue walking side by side with indigenous peoples in the present, seeking greater healing and reconciliation for the future. We lift up prayers to the Lord for the children who have lost their lives and pledge our close accompaniment of indigenous families and communities. May our Creator God bless all of us with consolation and hope. And I'll just pause again to let you form your own opinion before Brittany and I share ours. 
Yeah, so the part about this that bothers me the most is when they're saying, you know, the, the bishops pledge to continue walking side by side with indigenous people and that they're pledging their close accompaniment of indigenous families. Like, I don't think indigenous people want that at all. Like, I don't want the same system that killed my family to be the system that is consoling or walking alongside me. Like, that just does not seem... That seems like, again, a tone, a very tone-deaf approach to the, to the problem. Right, yeah. So when I read, you know, the last sentence, that's the one that bothered me the most, you know, of bless all of us with consolation and hope. And, you know, I was just baffled at that point. Like, what consolation does the Catholic Church need? They are the perpetrators. They are the villains in this story. There's no need for me or you to vilify them. They've done it themselves, and they need no consolation as the truth of their generations of violence and trauma becomes more known. And, you know, it's there for the world to know. Yeah, and then to make matters even worse, I've also seen other articles where the National Assembly of Bishops in Canada is distancing themselves from the Catholic Church as a whole and from the residential school system. So once again, the Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops, or the CCCB, put out another statement saying the Catholic Church as a whole in Canada was not associated with the residential schools, nor was the Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops. And in a City Newswire article uh, that reported on their statements, they also said that the Catholic community in Canada has a decentralized structure. Each diocesan bishop is autonomous in his diocese, and although relating to the Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops, is not accountable to it. Approximately 16 out of 70 Catholic dioceses in Canada were associated with the former Indian residential schools, in addition to about three dozen Catholic religious communities. And each diocese and religious community is corporately and legally responsible for its own actions. The Catholic Church as a whole in Canada was not associated with the residential schools, nor was the Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops. And so with this statement, you know, on one hand, the CCCB is saying they'll stand with indigenous communities. But then we can also see that they're very much trying to distance themselves with what, you know, between what happened. And I really hate when people do this because this is exactly the way that something like this will, it paves the way for something like this to happen again because the very people that are in power are not acknowledging their their role even if it's not you specifically who did it it is your organization so you should acknowledge that i mean it is you even if it's not directly you it's still you in some way and so i just really hate when they try to make that distance yeah and and as you said like even if it's not you you're you, it is you by association and you know I think the Christian thing to do is to stand up and say this is wrong this is not morally right this is not Christ-like and you know the lack of ownership in the mistreatment and deaths of indigenous children from these different factions of the Catholic Church is just horrible you know I did read you know various tweets by individual archbishops and several priests throughout the US and Canada you know just making notes of you know how they think it's wrong and you know they're gonna say things and hold themselves accountable but you know until we actually see these leaders holding their organizations accountable and the Catholic Church as a whole you're right it, it just leads it open for this to continue 
Um, but both the leading Liberal Party in Canada and the Conservative Party have both released statements supporting direct action from the Canadian government to search the grounds of all residential schools in Canada. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole has said that the Conservative opposition will support swift and immediate efforts to give families and communities closure and a time for healing. Acknowledgement is a start, but you know, I truly hope that we see more concrete action by the Canadian government and I'd also would love for the government to put some pressure on the Catholic Church to also, you know, stand up for their part in this all and you know, even perhaps some action from the US federal government. You know, every single school needs to be checked. I wish that the U.S. federal government would get involved, but I highly doubt that because we don't even have anything like the Truth and Reconciliation Act here, even though we had boarding schools here. So the government really hasn't hasn't done anything to kind of provide reparations to the indigenous people that went through the trauma of schools here. So I, I wish I could say that our government would, would do something like that, but I highly doubt it. And I just agree with everything you said. And, and then reflecting too out of the pain and the trauma that this announcement has caused we've also witnessed as we always do the beauty and the eternal and enduring resilience of indigenous people and our ability to always come together in one article in the cbc vivian sandy a 71 year old from williams lake first nation drove from vancouver to kamloops just to play an honor song for the children she was forced to attend Williams Lake First Nation Residential School, but as was common practice, some of her siblings were split up and the rest ended up in Kamloops. So back to Chelsea's point earlier about splitting up families, it's very intentional in these schools and so they split her and her family up. She said that her younger brother went through years of physical and sexual abuse that he didn't speak about until decades later and he ended up committing suicide in his 30s. And I read this story on Facebook the other day and it talked about how at one particular school in the boys' dormitory, the older boys would sleep closer to the door so that when the Catholic nuns and priests would come at night to choose a student to sexually abuse, that they would be closer to the door and therefore more likely to be picked so that the younger kids would not be sexually abused. And so I just think about stories like that, um, and that's just one story of one school. And then when we think about the death toll of these schools, we can't even just consider the number of children who died directly at the school, but the children who survived the school but eventually died from the trauma as adults, either by suicide or alcohol or drug abuse, um, to try to forget or, or you know for just forget their traumatic childhoods so that number could e add easily add thousands of more deaths to the totals right and for those that did survive i can only imagine the trauma they unintentionally placed on their children and grandchildren and their communities it's just such a vicious cycle officials within the tecumleps tesequapum said they we're waiting for final reports detailing the findings of the ground survey in, but they don't expect an update to be issued uh, for a few weeks. So as I mentioned, it was a radar survey in that did that finding of the mass grave. So there's actually now needs to be the work of, um, you know, bringing all of those remains of the children, you know, up from the earth. And so right now, like there's a no fly zone over the school, um, you know, so no drones allowed, no reporting on that at all. Um, and right now the First Nation kind of has control over that. Last Monday night, Chief Roseanne Casimir met with band members to brief them on what officials know so far and to seek input on how to honor the children. 
conversations have already started about how to handle their remains once they are fully unearthed. Chief Casimir said that her community is working with local indigenous leaders, a local Catholic bishop, and independent experts from the United Nations. On the ground, they're working with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, or the RCMP, to investigate other potential unmarked burial sites around Kamloops. When she was speaking to reporters about working with the RCMP, you know, Chief Roseanne said that she did not want the public to lose sight of the history of the RCMP. You know, so for those of you who are not aware, the RCMP has had a hand in forcibly removing children from the start, you know, from their families and driving them directly to residential schools. So in most instances, this wasn't, you know, mamas and daddies willingly sending these children to these schools. You know, they were being forced to go. And as you can imagine, you know, indigenous people didn't want to send their babies away. I know I would not. So, you know, the government had to use police force or other means to remove children from their homes. And this happened in the U.S. as well. And so it's easy to see why we as a people often have very little trust for law enforcement and for the government in general. And I also read where Chief Casimir said that the Missionary Oblates of Mary Immaculate, which was the Roman Catholic congregation that ran Kamloops School, has yet to release any kind of records for the community or to her people to review. However, Father Ken Thorson of the Missionary Oblates of Mary Immaculate said he committed this past week to transfer all the congregation's records related to the residential school and to make them more accessible digitally. He said that the missionary would not be releasing personnel files, uh, though, for uh, the names of the Oblates, saying that this is in line with the Federal Privacy Act, which I think, again, is just BS that none of those names of the folks working at the school will be revealed when there are probably a fair number of them still alive today who will just continue to live out their lives in peace without any repercussions, you know, for the pain and the suffering that they've caused. Right. And across Canada, just like we've seen in the U.S. over the last couple of years, there are, you know, is a growing outcry to get rid of statues and landmarks and, you know, schools that have, you know, trash names is what I call them, that honor <laughs> Canada's colonial legacy as much of that legacy is rooted in the genocide of Indigenous people. So just recently, for example, in Charlottetown, a statue of Canada's first Prime Minister, Sir John MacDonald, so Canada's George Washington, was removed after consulting with local First Nations leaders. Um, so MacDonald was one of the founding architects of Canada's residential schools. And as a political leader, he led starvation tactics against Indigenous people in the prairies of Canada. So that actually doesn't remind me of George Washington so much as it does Andrew Jackson, but, um, you know, even just this past week in Toronto, Egerton Ryerson's statue, who's another famous residential school architect, you know, his statue was covered in red paint and graffiti with the words, dig them up, you know, which is just an outcry to search every single school for remains. And just like in the U.S., there are politicians who say that this is uh, cancel culture and that if Canada continues, that most of the country's founding fathers and early leaders could one day be removed from history books. And I think that's just... A stupid statement I mean just quite frankly to make nobody at all is suggesting that we remove these people from history books I mean even thinking about this podcast we purposely try as much as possible to name names of people 
who are responsible for things, especially when you think about historical things or, or people who are responsible for the death of many indigenous people or the removal of many indig indigenous people. And we want these names out there. We want to know who did it. We want to have a person to blame for it. But does this person or these people, do they deserve statues and monuments? No. Do they belong in history books? Of course they do, but their whole truth of their experience needs to be told. You know, what they did in terms of genocide and cultural erasure should always be talked about. Right. I completely agree. Um, so just before we wrap up the episode, we just wanted to share the latest update made by the Canadian government. You know, as we mentioned earlier, President Trudeau has made several statements, but has no concrete action on how they think, you know, each First Nation should go about with, uh, you know, the burial searches and things like that. But, you know, uh, Crown Indigenous Relations Minister Carolyn Bennett said that the federal government is ready to distribute $27 million in pre-announced funding to assist indigenous communities in locating and memorializing children who died at residential schools. You know, Bennett said by the end of that day, so that Wednesday, First Nations who wanted to move forward with burial site searches and commemorations will have information about how to access the funding and it will be distributed on an urgent basis. And I know I'll be following closely along over the coming days, weeks and months to see what discoveries other First Nations make. Um, before I turn it over to Brittany to wrap up, you know, I'd like for us to take a moment of silence for the 215 or more children found at Kamloops Indian School and for the Tecumleps Tesequapam First Nation who lost so many of their ancestors. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you're an Indigenous person, please take some time this week for self-care. A National Indian Residential School Crisis Line is available to provide support for former students and those related. The 24-hour Crisis Line number is 1-866-925-4419. For those that have repressed memories of their time in these schools, this media attention could be releasing painful memories. Please exercise care as much as possible. We know this was not our traditional true crime episode, but if you're interested in hearing more historical true crime cases, please let us know your thoughts as we wrap up season one and as we think ahead for season two. Join us next week for the season one finale. This is the Red Justice Project. <laughs>